pray for us. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is the light of the world and that he opens the eyes of the blind that they might see uh, you in all of your glory, uh, that we might come to worship you through faith in Christ. Father, I pray as we worship you this morning, as we open your word together, that you would open our eyes to see Jesus more clearly and worship you more faithfully. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are a philosophy student, you will learn something uh, about the history of philosophy through a metaphor called the black cat. And the black cat is the concept of truth. Okay, so if you have this, if you, if, if you want to go through the history of philosophy, I'll give it to you in just about two minutes, all right? Prior to the philosopher Rene Descartes, philosophy is blind men in a dark alley at midnight looking for a black cat named Truth that is there. As you move past Rene Descartes, it's blind men in a dark alley at midnight looking for a black cat named Truth that might be there. You can't be sure. But we think it's probably there. As you get up into uh, the modern era with a philosopher named Immanuel Kant, it's a blind man in a dark alley at midnight looking for a black cat named Truth that is there if you believe he is. Then you move on to the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, is a German, blind men in a dark alley at midnight looking for a black cat that is dead because there is no truth. And as you move into the 20th century and the modern era uh, and get into up to our day, it's blind men in a dark alley at midnight and I am the black cat because I determine what is true and what is false and I make up reality for myself. And so if I believe that, that something is meaningful, then, then it's meaningful to me, right? And we even talk this way now. You'll hear people talk this way, and they'll say things like this. They'll say, well, that's good. You'll be sharing Christ with somebody and telling them all about how Jesus has changed your life, and they'll say things like this in response because they are the black cat in their own mind. They'll say, well, that's good if it's what? Good for you, right? Because we no longer believe in capital T, truth, as a culture. You know what, you know what Jesus is? Jesus is the man who comes into the dark alley at midnight, says, I am the truth, heals the blind men, and turns on the lights. And we want to see Jesus heal one particular blind man and try to turn the lights on for a bunch of other people in John chapter 9. So if you've got your Bible, let's read this story. As he passed by, he saw a, a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. And so they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Now, if you look at the first three verses of that section of Scripture, what you'll see is Jesus and his disciples having an important moment together where Jesus is going to teach them something contrary to what they have always believed. You see, the Jews in Jesus' day just like many people in our day, basically believe that you got what you deserved. You know, we have that same kind of expression in our culture, right? What goes around comes around, right? People basically get what they deserve. You know, we, we, we sometimes dress it up. We become Hindu and we, we say things like, you know, well, karma is going to get you, right? Right? <laughs> uh, and people get what they deserve. That's basically what people in Jesus' day believe too. If, you know, that if something bad happened to you, uh, then it's because you sinned and God is settling accounts with you. And they believed even that you could commit sin in utero. And, uh, and so either your sin in the womb... Or your parents' sin could give you birth defects like blindness. And so if something bad happened to you, you had it coming. You had it coming. You could call it, if you were maybe a scholar of the Old Testament, you could call it the theology of Job's friends. How many of y'all read Job, right? Y'all read Job? And you, and you read chapter after chapter after chapter of his friends saying, well, did you sin this way? And Job's saying, no. And how about this way? No, I didn't do that either. Well, how about this way? You must have done something, Job. I mean, we know that bad stuff does not happen to good people. And so if something bad has happened to you, Job, it must be because you have sinned in some way and you need to repent. And that's why all this bad stuff has happened to you. By the way, does that theology have a kernel of truth? Yes. Sometimes. It is also true that everybody's parents are sinners and that we all live in the world that our parents make for us. So if we don't like the way, if you don't like the way the world is, blame your parents, blame your grandparents, okay? And it'll come back around because one day your kids will blame you. 
right? But we all inhabit the sinful results of the accumulated choices of, of, of sinful people, right? So there's a kernel of truth to this that we do suffer in a sense for the sins of our parents. And it is true that we are born as sinners. So there's a kernel of truth in what these what Jesus' disciples believed. But let me ask you another question. Is suffering always a one-for-one -one correspondence to some sin you have personally done? No. Are you under some kind of a curse based on what your parents did? No. And there's nothing to support the Scripture uh, to support that idea in the scripture that says that, well, if your parents did this, well, then you're born blind. If you're suffering, that must be because of some sin that you did or someone else did. And so Jesus has to correct their erring theology. And the way he does it is with show and tell. First, he tells them, look, this man is not born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin, but why? that God might be glorified in this man's life. That God might be glorified in this man's life. Men and women, that is a truth for us today, too. If we are also Jesus' disciples, does sin cause suffering? Yes, you bet it does. But is all suffering a result of sin? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, many times, God will allow suffering into your life for the same reason He allowed it into Job's life, for the same reason He allowed it into this blind man's life. He allows it into your life and my life that God might be glorified. That people might see the power of God displayed and that Jesus and might be glorified in our lives as we are healed and as we even deal with the suffering we experience. Some of you might be thinking right now, Pastor, are you telling me that sometimes God allows people to suffer so that He can bring good out of it and then people will glorify God? Yes, that is exactly what I am telling you. Jesus is the supreme example of that very thing, isn't he? Did Jesus suffer? Yes. Was it because of sins he had done? No. But was God glorified through Jesus' suffering? Yes. And so we who are Jesus' followers, guess what? It's on the curriculum for you too. That you're going to suffer sometimes not due to anything that you have done, but that God might be glorified through you. And that is what is happening with this blind man. God created him blind so that at the right moment, Jesus could heal him as a testimony to his identity as Messiah. And so that people would come to believe in Jesus uh, not only this man, but many other people with him. And in fact, generations now later, you realize this, is, this, this man's healing is one of only seven public miracles that Jesus has recorded as doing in the Gospel of John. And this Gospel is written explicitly for the purpose of telling people who Jesus is and how to believe in him. 
That's, John's gospel is written specifically for that purpose. And this man is one of seven miracles that Jesus is recorded as doing in John so that people might believe in Jesus. And so God has been using this guy for 2,000 years to lead people to faith in Jesus as part of telling the story of who Jesus is and what he does in people's lives. So you might think to yourself, well, man, I don't know if I would sign up to be born blind. He didn't sign up either. But God nevertheless used him to bring Jesus great glory and to bring other people to faith in Jesus just as he brings this man. Is that hard to swallow sometimes? That God would bring suffering into your life deliberately to bring glory to himself? Yes. But God works all things, according to the scriptures, together for our good if we love him. Notice how Jesus describes himself in this passage here. He says he is the light of the world. He gives spiritual light to everyone who comes to him. And therefore he needs to work, even though we're going to find out this is the Sabbath day. He, he says, because night is coming. What's he talking about? I'm talking about this coming crucifixion. Jesus is only six months from the end of his earthly ministry in life. Night is coming. He says, so I've got to get busy. Then Jesus is doing God's work because he is on the clock. And he is always conscious of doing his ministry and fulfilling everything that God, has, his Father, has planned. And so Jesus does something amazing. This is the most incredible, to me, thing. I mean, I, I would not go to a doctor who did this, but Jesus does this. He spits on the ground and he takes that glob of spit and the dust that it went into and kind of stirs it around and makes some mud and smears it on the guy's eyes. I mean, that just sounds unkind, first of all, <laughs> right? Like the blind guy can't even see what you're doing. But that's what Jesus does. He smears mud on this guy's eyes that he's made with some of his own spit. And he tells the guy, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The, the, the word Siloam means scent. So Jesus sent the guy to the scent pool. And when he comes back, he is seeing. He's never seen anything in his life. Can you imagine, I mean, if you've never seen anything in your life ever, what all of a sudden that is like to be seeing? And you can all of a sudden see what green looks like. And purple. And red. White. All these things that you've only just heard legends about, right? All these colors and, and the depth of things and the way things really look is amazing. And this guy comes back seeing. And is he quiet about it? No. He tells everybody around him what happened to me. Yeah, I came back seeing. And in fact, people are so amazed that this has happened because, by the way, how many times has this ever happened in biblical history prior to, prior to this point? Zero. Not even Elijah healed a person who was born blind. 
And so there's no historical record of anyone of this ever happening. And Jesus makes it happen in just minutes as this guy goes, washes off the mud off of his face. He comes back seeing. And people are so shocked and amazed they don't believe him when he tells them, I'm the blind guy. I was the, I'm the guy who used to sit over there who couldn't see anything. They're like, you can't be the blind guy. And he's like, no, I'm the blind guy. Uh, no, you look like him, but, but you can't be the blind guy, right? I mean, can you imagine how amazing that conversation is? You know, I, I'm the guy. And so if you were healed, according to the law, you were supposed to report to the religious leaders that you might uh, testify about the person who healed you, and they might investigate what's going on. So Jesus knows that the next thing this guy's going to do is go find the religious leaders and tell them about what happened. So these guys, uh, the, blind man, the formerly blind man goes off to meet some religious leaders, and let's see what happens. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been, been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he'd received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not for God, from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind, and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Now let me explain something here quickly. Uh, why did God give Israel the Sabbath? One word, four letters, rest. Rest and to worship. 
you know, this was a time, if you can imagine this, this is a time when subsistence level agriculture is the way most of the people of the world lived. And by that, what I mean is, is that you would, you, there was no John Deere, there was no moldboard plow, there was just, you kind of scratched out whatever you could uh, in a, in, by way of a furrow with your, with your ox or with your horse, and you would would try to plant seed and hope that it grew and that the pest didn't eat it and that you, know, you didn't have blight go through or anything like this. And you would just try as best you can to make a living and hope for a good crop at the end. And it was hard work. Lots of manual weeding, lots of digging, lots of hoeing, lots of working hard working hard for a living. And God says to people who are just barely surviving in their agricultural life, where if a bad storm comes through, we might lose the whole crop this year. He says, hey, I want you to take one day in seven and rest. Rest. I have rest. Who will take care of the who will take care of the garden? Who will take care of the sheep and the goats and the cattle? Who will make sure that we have enough to eat come this winter when nothing grows? And so the idea of the Sabbath is that you were to set aside one day and it and and worship God and then it also taught you to trust that God would provide for you even when you didn't work. And it was given as a gift to God's people that they might learn to trust Him and worship Him and to experience the joy of rest, knowing that God was going to take care of them. So that's the idea behind the Sabbath. But along with a lot of other things, the Sabbath rest got corrupted by a bunch of people who wanted to make rules about it and wanted to define specifically what the Scripture means when it says, do no regular work on the Sabbath. And so it got to where, it got to where you had to, they would tell you, the, the rule makers like the Pharisees, got to where they would tell you, look, you've got to watch where you spit. Actually had a, a rule about that. They said, you got to watch where you spit because if you spit on the ground and somebody were to walk along and drag their foot through that, that would, that would mix the spit with the dirt and make mud and you would, be, you would be stirring something and so you would be working. Seriously. Is that ridiculous? Yes. Is that what God called His people to do? No. And so Jesus is immediately in conflict with these people because what has he done? He has spit and then with his finger deliberately made mud and applied it to somebody, right? And so he was doing what? He was working according to them. So he's violating their understanding of the Sabbath. And this miracle then just blows away their categories. 
And what Jesus has done causes a rift among the Pharisees. And some are convinced, well, this guy can't be from God because he has violated what we think obedience to the Sabbath and to uh, the law looks like. But the blind man is convinced that Jesus is from God and is a prophet because nobody in history, not even Elijah with all of his miracles, could open the eyes of a man born blind. It's so confusing that some people are, not, are still not willing to even believe that he's really the same man who was born blind. And the Pharisees bring in his parents to confirm, is this the guy? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. How is it that he sees? They're like, I don't know, ask him. Because they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to get kicked out of their synagogue. Because they know, and the Pharisees know, that if Jesus has really done this kind of a miracle, then it lends credence to the idea that he really is the Messiah. Amen? And they don't want to acknowledge that. Because, after all, how could the Messiah be violating our tradition about what the law means? And then they bring in the blind man again, the formerly blind guy. And they say, okay, this is not making any sense. Tell us again how this guy opened your eyes. Because we know he's a sinner. Because he violated our rules. He broke our religious tradition. And nobody who's from God can violate our religious tradition. And there's a, just a, a sweet little bit of irony in this story. You see it? Who has the best theology in this story? It, I'll give you a hint. It's not the Pharisees. <laughs> okay. It's not the guys who studied the Bible for a living and had all the religious training and understood all of the Old Testament scriptures. It isn't those guys. It's the guy who's never laid eyes on a Bible in his life because he hasn't been able to see until today. That guy has the best theology. The man who was blind and cl now clearly sees. And the people who can't see what's plainly obvious are the guys with all the rules and the theological education. They know a lot. The problem is, is that so much of what they know isn't true. And this man sees clearly, he knows that Jesus must be sent from God because Jesus has done for him what no one can do except God. And he wants to be Jesus' disciple. He just hadn't found him yet. I need to follow Jesus. I mean, this guy immediately knows. I need to follow Jesus. Because no one can do what this man has done unless they're from God. And these guys, these Pharisees, refuse to recognize it. And they, in fact, say, I can't believe you want to be his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. But are they? If they were really disciples of Moses, they would have read the book of Deuteronomy. And they would have read where Moses predicted that there would be a prophet like him that would arise and they need to follow that person because, and do everything he says because he is from God. Guess who Jesus is? The guy Moses was telling them about. If they're really disciples of Moses, they would recognize Jesus for who he is, but they don't. 
because they're in love with their own knowledge, their own education, their own theology. In fact, by the end of the story, uh, as they're interacting with him, what do they say to him? You were born in utter sin. Where are we? We're back to the theology of Job's friends again. Well, I don't know how you got healed. By that sinful dude Jesus who broke our rule. But clearly you're a sinner because you were born blind. And they throw him out. But who's really in the dark? It's not the blind man who now sees. Look at the text. Jesus heard they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Isn't this beautiful? I love this part of the story. The guy gets ejected from the synagogue. He gets thrown out of the Pharisees' presence. And, and Jesus seeks him out and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who's the Son of Man, by the way? It's a title used in two places in the Old Testament. One is in the book of Ezekiel, where God speaks to Ezekiel, the prophet, and calls him constantly through the book, Son of Man. And, and it's a reference to the fact that Ezekiel is a human being. He is the son of Adam. Son of Adam. You could also render that, Right? But there's also this other figure in Daniel chapter 7. After this long parade of all the world's wicked kings and kingdoms are overthrown, uh, there comes a figure, one like the Son of Man, who is given authority over all the world. And who comes with God's authority and with the holy angels to rule and to reign and set up his kingdom. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And you get in that title both aspects of who Jesus is, that he's fully human. He's fully, in a sense, the son of Adam. But he's also, like the figure in Daniel, the Son of God. And it's Jesus' favorite title for himself. And it's a messianic title the guy doesn't know who that is. He says, well, I believe in him, but I don't know who he is. And Jesus says, it's me. The guy who healed you, I'm the son of man. And the guy all of a sudden recognizes Jesus as his savior and as God. And he bows and worships him. Now look at what Jesus says in response. He says, I came for judgment and then he explains what that means that those who don't see would see and those that see might become blind 
And some Pharisees are standing nearby. They overhear this conversation. And they understand that Jesus is lumping them in with the blind. And because they associate blindness with sinfulness, they're offended. But Jesus doesn't back down. He, in fact, says something that seems cryptic on the surface until you think about it for a while. Which is that Jesus can only heal those who realize that they're spiritually blind. If you recognize that you're a sinner, in other words, in desperate need of salvation and healing, Jesus can and does save and help and heal. And as a result, you will see spiritual things clearly. Amen? That those who don't see will see. And on the other hand, Uh, If you think that you have neither sin nor need of Jesus, then there's nothing He can do for you. He can't heal you. He can't save you. He can't help you because you are willfully blind to who Jesus is and of your need of salvation. And in this story, Jesus teaches us exactly what He wants us who are His disciples to learn. This whole thing is, is given to us who are just like the disciples in the beginning of the story. And Jesus does these things to teach his disciples as well, not only to help this man, but also to teach his disciples about who he is and what his mission is. And I want to just underline and highlight these two things out of the text again. I don't want anybody to miss them. We all need to see what Jesus wants us to see. Amen? So, Number one, suffering isn't always due to sin, but may be part of your life that your life might glorify God. That's the point that Jesus makes to his disciples at the beginning of the story. And by the way, did that happen with this man's life? Yes. Not only did this man's blindness and healing lead him to glorify God, Because by the end, he's become what? A Christian. Follower of Jesus. A worshiper of Jesus. But it also has led many other people to do the same thing as they witnessed it happen in his own day. As we have read about it in the last 2,000 years since. How's that for God using your affliction to bring himself glory? That's pretty good. Can God still do that? Yes. Does he do that? Yes. In fact, Paul, Paul tells us that one of the most encouraging chapters in the Bible is Romans chapter 8. I love that. I love that chapter. If you need encouragement today, you're a believer in Jesus, you need to read some Romans 8. And he reminds us in that chapter that whatever affliction that we have is laying up for you a weight of glory with which the affliction, whatever it is, is not worthy to be compared. And that God is using that thing, whatever it is, to bring glory to himself and reward and honor and blessing for you. He is using it to do you good and to bring him glory. And so it doesn't matter what it is. You know, if it's criticism or if it's cancer, If you lost a child, 
if you lost a spouse who abandoned you for another person, if you had a job that you loved that you got laid off from and you were, when you were two years from retirement and now you don't know how you're going to survive, if you have lingering sickness and pain, and by the way, that's and not to, not to be too encouraging, but that's what waits most of us at the end of our life, right? Lingering sickness and pain that finally culminates in our death. Imprisonment, torture, death. All these things God may use as tools in His toolbox to bring you good and Him glory. But guess what? When we get into the presence of God, the glory we will have because of these things will far outweigh whatever has happened. And we will look at it as a minor inconvenience on the way into God's presence. Second thing, Jesus heals those who see that they are spiritually blind but those who think they see remain blind. So let me ask you, do you see? Do you see? Not asking about whether you have 20-20 eyesight. I'm not asking about whether or not you need glasses or contacts or LASIK surgery. I'm saying... Have you experienced the same transformation as this formerly blind man? Have you come to realize that you're blind and in need of forgiveness and transformation and being able to see clearly who Jesus is? I hope so. I hope so. I know many of us have come to that point in our life where we're like, Lord, I am poor, blind, and naked. When it comes to spiritual things. And I got nothing to offer. And Lord I need you to come into my life. And clothe me. And give me sight. And give me the riches of Christ. And he does. For every person who comes into his presence. By faith. Asking for salvation. But for every person who's convinced, you know what, I, I got life together on my own. I don't need Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is just a crutch to which I say, yes, he is. And if you know you're crippled, a crutch helps a whole bunch. <laughs> right? That is the reality. But if you've never come to that place, I hope that you will quickly come to the end of yourself. Because Jesus can only help you to see after you realize that you're blind. And after you make that realization, he offers to you freely salvation through faith in him. Don't wait another day if you haven't come to faith in Jesus yet. Amen? You will see like you've never seen. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you that you do give sight to the blind, that you give healing 
to the broken, that you raise the dead to life, and that even though you allow our suffering, you don't let us suffer to no purpose. There is every purpose and meaning and, and even glory to our suffering because you are using it and redeeming it for your glory and our good just like you did in this man's life. Father, I pray that we would look to you and that we would follow you and that if there's anyone here who has never realized until today that they were blind, Father, may the, today be the day that they receive their sight and learn to follow Jesus. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.